The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And this is how God approaches his people. The faithful city has become a whore. He, he, his people should be shocked at this indictment. They should be humbled at this indictment. And yet, unfortunately, um, we know it takes a long time for them to hear his indictment, for them to enter into repentance and into the health and life that he has given to them. But what he shows us here is that the first step toward health and flourishing is admitting that it's me. You know the old hymn, it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. That's what God is wanting us to, us to see. That's what he wants his people to see, that we must take personal responsibility for where our lives are. A good doctor will not sugarcoat uh, a, a, a dire diagnosis, but he will simply tell us the truth, and that's what God is doing. Friends, the hardest thing that we can do as Christians is do this heart work. It's a constant work. It's not just in order to be saved and to receive Christ. It is an ongoing work that we must be involved in, and it's hard. It's easy for us, and this is what I think most of us as Christians do, and that is we, we confess generic sin. We, we confess to the fact that we are sinful. But friends, everybody does that. Uh, even those that reject Christ, even those that reject God, even those that aren't even pretending to walk with God will say, no, I'm not perfect. That's just simply a confession of being human that we all admit to. But no, God gives us the ability to do more than that, and that is to bring specific uh, requests to him, identify specific sin. Here, here's the principle. Sin is, is safe as long as it's not named. Let me repeat that. Sin is safe as long as it's not named. Whenever we're doing generic sin, it's impotent to transform us. In fact, when we just pray the Lord's Prayer, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that is impotent. It almost steeps us in our pride unless we begin to name the people that we must forgive. Unless we enter into those relationships and seek reconciliation. It's an impotent prayer. And it steeps us more in pride, giving us the illusion that we're doing something when literally we've done nothing. We must live a lifestyle of repentance. I was reminded of this. I'm reminded of this most mornings. I could give you a lot of examples from even this morning. Uh, but we'll go back to Friday night. We'll go back that far. Uh, my wife and I, Rachel and I, were um, house-sitting for our daughter Amy Catherine, her husband Tom, as they took a trip, and dog-sitting as well. Uh, the house was much easier to take care of than the dogs, mind you. Um, but we were house-sitting for them, and, and we did so, I think, from like Saturday through this past Friday. And Rachel and I came home, we packed up, you know how that is, and we forgot our, our things in the refrigerator, and hey, I wasn't going to leave our groceries we just bought. So I drove back, got those, got back to the house. And and Rachel was responding to kind of knowing she's going to be at home for the next several days uh, with this incredible desire to clean closets and, and to get organized and to go through clothes, uh, boxes of clothes, to find clothes that our, our grandson, especially Wilder, can wear. And so, so I come in and I'm doing something in the kitchen and she says, Richard, will you, do you mind going to the attic? 
to get this box of clothes. And I want you to know that my immediate response was anything but loving. Um, it was anything but loving. It, it, it was this look on my face like I cannot, it's like you just asked me to run three marathons back to back. You know, it, it's, it was completely rude. And you know, that wouldn't be that big of a deal if it were a one-time event in 36 years of marriage. But I want you to know that that is every time my wife asked me to go to the attic. Every time my wife asked me to get something out of the garage. Do you know how humiliating that is? That the person that I have covenanted, not just promised, covenanted to love the most, I am the rudest to in moments like that. Do you know how hard it is to, to come to terms with the fact that for 36 years I have not had the ability to break that habit? Oh, has my repentance become a little faster? Yeah, did I catch myself? Yes. But do you know how humbling it is for me to even confess to you who I'm not even seeing right now the reality that my sin is real and it's not broken and that I'm a broken man and I need the power of God to step in and change me. It's so much easier to blame her. It's so much easier to say, oh, that was just a bad, that was bad timing. In fact, all of the times you've asked me over 36 years, you just, you just choose bad times. I mean, it's easy to become defensive. That's much easier. It's easier for me to say, oh, I've got a nagging wife. Husbands, ever been there? Ever used that one? All right, we've got some amens from our small crowd here. Uh, it's much easier to blame shift. But do you see what God is doing in this passage? He, he's not saying look around you. He's saying look at you. Look at you. Look at your own heart. This is what we're called to as believers. In Mark 1.15, Jesus says, the, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And, and that word repent is, is continuous. It's be repenting. Be believing. Be repenting throughout your life. Why must we do this? Because as Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. You see, friends, our sin, it's worse than just isolated events of behavior. But it is rooted in who we are. Jesus points this out in Luke 6. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the eyes roll, and the body responds when your wife tells you to do something you don't want to do, when you're reminded that you want to be in control and you don't want to be inconvenienced because you think you're a little demigod that others should bow down to. The question, dear friends, that we as believers must be asking is this, not Am I being deceived by sin, but how am I being deceived by sin? If that is not your posture, you are in an unhealthy place.
If that's not your posture right now, if you aren't looking over the last few hours, over the last few days, if you're not analyzing how your heart has responded to this coronavirus, to all of the ways that you've been inconvenienced, all of the ways that you have sat in judgment on people posting on Facebook, oh, look at them, they're so fearful, all of the things that's going on in your heart, if you aren't doing that work, you are in danger. God says, look at your heart. Psalm 139, this should be our prayer. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, the preceding verses are, God, you're everywhere. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go uh, to Sheol, you are there. If I go under my bed, you're there. If I lay down, you're there. You're there. You know everything. You're there. So what he's saying is not, oh God, you become cognizant of my sin and the insecurities and anxiety in my heart, but make me aware. Search me, O oh God, and tell me about my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Dear friends, will you allow God to expose your heart for where you are this morning? Will you stop being defensive and simply let Him indict you so that He might lead you into freedom? That's one. Number two. We, what we see clearly in this passage is we are cheating on God with ourselves. <laughs> we're, we're having a love affair with, with self. We're having a love affair. I'm having a love affair with me when I am rude to my wife. I was walking through the office. We have a new office and uh, of course we have hand sanitizer. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Nobody break into the office and get the last remaining bottle of hand sanitizer. Uh, but I was walking through the office, I looked at the hand sanitizer and I said, hey, we ought to put that on eBay and see how much we can get for it. Now that just came flowing out of my mouth. I was kidding, or was I kidding? Um, it's interesting that that is the first thing that I thought when I saw that hand sanitizer. Uh, how much money? Can I get for it? It's interesting as God calls his people whores because they are cheating on him with themselves, uh, we have to understand what that means. He, he is turning from, basically he's indicting us of turning away from him as our provider, as our protector, as our savior, as our refuge and our rock and our sure and certain hope. And we're turning to the things of the world, we're turning to our own hands, to our own ingenuity, to how we can manipulate uh, the resources around us, the people around us, to benefit us and make sure that we are okay. Listen to what he says, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, we'll get to that, righteousness was lodged in her, but now murderers. You see, the exile has produced selfish, a selfish community. And yet God through the scriptures from beginning to end emphasizes his heart for his people to be a just community. Now hear me. Literally every time that I, I bring, I, I preach this, a passage like this that uses the word justice and righteousness, um, two things typically happen. The first is this, people automatically, some people automatically assume that I'm about to make a political statement. 
God, when he is speaking of justice throughout the scriptures and the 400 and something uh, references to justice throughout the scriptures, he's not making a political statement. He's not talking about how citizens of a government should act. He's talking about how the citizens of his kingdom must act how his community must act, what his church should look like, the, 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 the economic and, and, and communal uh, relational um, aspect of his, um, his church. But then secondly, um, oftentimes we hear a works righteousness. Oh, we have to be just in order to be loved. No, hear me. The order is clear. We, at the very heart of God, is this whole reality of justice, okay? Listen to Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner or foreigner or uh, migrant, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. What, what God is bringing out in Isaiah, and really through all the prophets, and why most of the prophets were killed, <laughs> why the people said, no, we're not receiving that message, we're going to kill the messenger uh, and try to stop the message from God, and why he kept sending uh, prophets and then finally his son, was because they rejected this indictment and they rejected uh, the reality of, of this community and, and they rejected the fact that he has redeemed his people to be a just community. He's freed us from our sin and the power of sin that we might love. Listen to Michael J. Gorman in his book, Becoming the Gospel. He says this, Unless we import a, a foreign 21st century definition of justice into this prophetic concern, we need to hear the prophetic words justice and righteousness as relational terms. They do not, uh, they, they, they have to do not with retribution, for instance, but with human community and wholeness. The setting right of wrongly configured relationships, the liberation of the oppressed, and attention to the poor and otherwise needy. Justice is, in other words, closely related to the biblical vision of shalom. Being grounded in God's character, justice is not a footnote to biblical religion, but rather at the very heart of biblical faith. This is a message that not only Israel rejected, but we as a church today have rejected too. And, it's, and what we can take from that is this, is that sin tends to manifest itself not individually but corporately. Sin tends to manifest itself in community. That's why we can say, oh, those evangelicals, you know, or those Presbyterians, or those you know, white people, uh, African-American people, Latino, Asian. That's why we can generalize, make general statements, because sin manifests itself not merely individually, but corporately. And that's what we see. God is speaking to his people communally. Listen, but rebels and sinners shall be broken together, the community of God's people. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. 
and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender and his work a spark and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Because the people of God have neglected the message of the justice of God, they will be judged um, corporately. And yet note that they will also be healed corporately. He, he speaks about a day when um, they will be ashamed of the oaks that they've desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. These are actual words of, of hope. These are words of, of healing. Because there's going to be a time, God says, when I'm going to so wake you up that you're going to look at the whole direction of your life as you've been calling yourself my people, and you're going to realize that you have not been manifesting my heart, namely, my heart of love and justice for your neighbor. That you're going to be woken up to this reality. There's going to be a moment in time when you're going to be woken up to this reality and you are going to be embarrassed of how you and your forefathers have acted. Is that not amazing? See, justice is, is simply loving your neighbor. It's simply doing for your neighbor what you would want to have done to you in your time of need. It's, it's, it's this whole idea of... of the reality that it flows from the heart of God. Listen, one of the most quoted verses from the New Testament of all times. For God so loved the world that he sent best wishes and said he was thinking about us. No. For God so loved the world that he gave the heart of God, because He is love, and which, which drives justice. The heart of God is not to look to Himself, but to look outward. Why did God create the world? Because He couldn't contain His love any longer. He couldn't hold it within Himself. It exploded into creation. It exploded into forming men and women who were created to participate and, and, and become worshiping beings that can know Him and love Him and receive from Him. God's justice is, is the backbone of creation. It's the backbone, obviously, of salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He didn't just give a handout. He gave the most precious gift um, to, to, that He could give to us so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gives us a gift that we could never repay. Dear friends, that is how the church of God must be. Not just in times of prosperity, but in times of want, in times of, of need, in times of little. Injustice. See, justice is loving your neighbor, but injustice is the essence of self-centeredness. It's living with no concern for one's neighbor. For the people of God, this must not be so. Listen, to, look at just quickly, and we're, we're nearing the end. We say we're going to end at 11. We have never ended in an hour. So we're not going to start that with that horrible, uh, but we're, we're really close. Hang with me. Notice that God calls them murderers. James talks about murderers and really the, the motivation behind murder in James 4.2. He said, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Wow. It comes from self-interest. It comes from looking inward. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
Next, he indicts them. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. The heart of self-concern is, what can I get out of it? How is me being kind to you going to bring good to me? And God says, this is not how my people, uh, you know, this is not how my people should live. God's kindness toward us through his son cost him everything. <laughs> it cost him his wealth, his own son, Jesus Christ. That's what we can be freed to, is to be so non-self-concerned that we are not even recognizing the detriment that, that we're bringing upon ourselves because we are so consumed with bringing good to our neighbor and our loved ones around us. Justice is considering acting how my life is impacting others. Nancy Lee DeMoss said this, God uses suffering to cause our hearts to become detached from the things that are less than God. From things and people, goods, pleasures, things that can only satisfy, satisfy us to a limited extent. Friends, if you hear anything I say this morning, hear this. God is doing an intervention not to bring harm to us, but to free us from the drug of choice in our own lives that we might make him the very essence of our worship, that we might let go of the drugs of choice, of money, of power, of reputation, whatever that drug is, that we might find his hold on our lives to be life itself. Friends, that's the hope of the gospel. Listen to verses 26 and 27. He brings hard words, but he also brings redemptive words. Afterward, after you, you go through this time of, of basically understanding that for years your life was lived in the direction of, of self and not God and neighbor, after this, once I wake you up, afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness. Oh, how, how glorious would it be if the church's reputation were this. The church is a community of righteousness. It's a faithful city. Why? Because they love their neighbor, they love their city, they love the world more than themselves. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. In other words, we will be, be redeemed too. Uh, being so non-self-aware and non-self-centered that we can lay our lives down for those around us. I can lay my la life down for my wife. She can literally come to me and ask me to go to the attic. And I can say, honey, there's nothing that I would love to do more. And mean it. That's what it means for Richard Reeves to be redeemed and owe so much more. It means for the needs of the city, for children that cannot read, for the poor that have no food, for the naked that have no clothes, maybe for those in our city that are not, that are going to be facing serious times, financial strain in time, to let go of our money, to let go of the things that, that we look to and trust in, to love our neighbor tangibly as God has loved us tangibly. I really believe, dear friends, that God is using this time in, in our present condition to heal us, to heal the church. He can show us our, our, our um, self-centeredness so that 
He can show that his concern for us, his concern for his church, laying his life down, sending his son to live and to die for us, to buy us to himself as sons and daughters, that we can trust him, we can trust him to live differently in this time and in the time after this than we did even before this time. What is God showing you this morning? How do you need to believe in the merciful work of Jesus Christ? How do you need to believe that your God is a provider? How do you need to believe that your God is a sustainer? How do you need to believe that your God, not Kroger, is a refuge? <laughs> not your 401k that you hope and pray is going to come back one day, someday. But God is your refuge. God is your sustainer. God is the one that you can look to during this time, and he will not fail you. Dear friends, may that be our hope. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you're a God that is certain and true. You are a rock that does not shake. You're a rock that does not break no matter what virus, no matter what natural disaster, no matter what loss we face in this world. You are a rock that we can stand on and know in the deepest recesses of our heart, mind, and soul that you love us, that you're for us, and you will not abandon us, but you will provide for us. Thank you, O oh God, that you are that certain. Thank you, O oh God that you're a God that we can give our lives to and know that that investment will never take a step back, but will only grow deeper and wider and richer throughout the ages, even on to eternity. Thank you, Lord God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, obviously we're not taking up a collection here as we typically do, uh, but you can give online. You can text to give. Uh, if you're going to do that this morning, simply text all lowercase, no spaces, downtown church to 73256. Uh, you can also go online, downtownchurch.com, and give there. Please, during this time, as I stated in our uh, letter, we are still paying our hourly employees. Um, uh, we're paying everyone that depends upon um, their work on Sunday morning. And, um, and so we beg you to continue giving, maybe even give more during this time. We are looking for ways, and we uh, have a partnership with um, the Memphis Food Bank, and we hope to be bringing announcements soon where we'll be distributing food to those that need it in uh, this community in 38126 and 38103. Uh, we have a lot of things planned of how we're going to respond in ways to meet real needs, not just created needs. Um, and so uh, please continue to watch the realm, watch our so social media outlets, watch your, watch your email. Uh, we will be uh, in communication with you over the next few days. Amen.